My daddy's gone on, my grandpa's gone on, my great-grandpa's gone on. But they still live. You know, the, the spray is still here. Well, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Tell me of a home far away. Welcome back, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our little mini-series in October. We're back at you today with another full-length episode. And today we're going to be talking about folk medicine, just in time for flu and cold season. It's really apropos because my allergies right now are are off the chain, as the kids say. Um, It's pretty bad. The leaves fall, and it just, man, yeah. So I have to ask, are there any folk remedies or home remedies that you turn um, to? Yeah, so my my go-to is a hot tea with lemon and honey, maybe a splash of whiskey in there. Yeah. Because I have really bad reactions to normal cold medicines, like decongestants. I can't take them because yeah. they make me so weird. Mm-hmm. I just can't do it. So I don't like taking cold medicine, but I will if I... It's like really bad, but my go-to is a hot toddy. Yeah. Unquestionably. Yeah. And then if I'm hacking up along, I think I was telling you, we have a quote unquote cough remedy that involves all kinds of intense herbs, including cayenne that'll just clear you out. So yeah. right up. <laughs> and then obviously, you know, the elderberry syrup is something that's mm-hmm. really made a huge comeback and is is yeah. kind of mainstream now and around this time i start taking it pretty regularly yeah but it's good stuff yeah so you guys are probably wondering perhaps what folk medicine exactly is and it's basically what we're talking about it's those remedies that are passed between generations so if you think back to when you were a kid and maybe mom made you some hot bone broth if you had uh you know a cold or some other um ailment those kinds of things are an example of folk medicine Here in Appalachia, though, folk medicine is a time-honored tradition that dates back to the Native Americans. Um, So today we're going to be talking a little bit about some of those uh, home remedies that date back to those traditions as well as... um, Old world traditions, right? Yeah, old world traditions. But you've got two converging cultures coming together. You have the Cherokee and the other indigenous peoples here who already have their sort of, you know repertoire of, of folk medicine cures with local herbs here and then people are coming over from old from the old world uh, bringing with them their knowledge about folk medicine but now they've arrived to a new landscape and a new set of herbs and so they have to kind of start from zero with you know they have got a, a, an essential understanding of how you know mixing things up and how to identify medicinal plants but it's a it's a it's a whole yeah. new game and I'll actually add that there are three cultures kind of converging here in the mountains historically, and that's the Native Americans, the Euro-Americans, and then African-Americans who migrated into the mountains. Um, and the the traditions that were brought over from you know Europe and Africa really, like you said, blend with the Native American knowledge of the plants and um, spiritual healing. So for defining folk medicine, it's basically... A type of medicine that uh, does not have formal scientific training that we think of today for conventional medicine. It's transmitted between generations, usually through oral tradition, and it often is based on anecdotal evidence, which essentially means if you get sick (coughs) and you (laughs) take a cough remedy that you just kind of made up and it works, 
and then you tell somebody else about it, they're going to take that story as evidence for that specific remedy working, and then that's kind of how things get passed on. But another important aspect of folk medicine that modern herbalists really highlight is that folk medicine focuses on healing the whole body. So whereas conventional medicine tends to focus on healing the physical ailment. So, you know, if you have a cut, you put a Band-Aid on it. Whereas folk medicine is going to look at not only healing the physical ailment, um, but it's also going to examine the spirit and the mind and kind of try to work towards a more holistic approach to healing. Um, folk medicine also tends to be a bit more preventative um, than uh diseased focus so like you know eating your greens to get your vitamin c as opposed to right or after you get scurvy (laughs) (laughs) there's a funny scurvy story that i'll tell you later but um (laughs) yes i have a scurvy story um but also back in my pirate days (laughs) um but also thinking about things like you know something my mother and my grandmother always told me was like eat local honey Wherever you live, like find local honey, eat that honey because that helps your body acclimate to the local pollens, which is, you know, that, that's, that kind of makes sense. And it's almost like a, like a vaccine of sorts against, uh, local allergens. Mm -hmm. So if you're somebody who reacts really heavily or, um, to, uh, pollens during the spring and again in the fall, hi, um, (laughs) you know, Using uh, local honey in your tea or just, you know, having my, my Nana used to have a spoonful oh, yeah. of honey every morning. Um, that'll help you, uh, you help your body resist those, those allergies. So that, you know, again, that's a folk practice. Yeah. yeah. So in Appalachia, you know, in addition to these confluence of cultures coming together to produce a unique type of folk medicine, um, we also have like the highest or one of the highest uh, diversity of medicinal herbs that grow here in the wild. Um, yeah. Um, is it, uh, so we have, we work with a local herbalist here, Patricia Howell and Patricia calls Apple, Southern Appalachia, like North America's apothecary mm-hmm. um, because of just how diverse and broad our collection of native folk, uh, uh, native medicinal herbs uh, that exist here. Yeah, but unfortunately, a lot of those plants are now considered endangered right. due to overharvesting from the past several hundred years. So, you know, along with the arrival of the Europeans who began settling this region and working with the Native Americans, there were also those who began to exploit the natural resources here. And among that were plants such as lady slipper and ginseng um, and several other plants that have just been completely overharvested. And now, um, you know, you can't can't hardly find them in this region. And this is this is probably a good spot for our 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 disclaimer on ethical harvesting yes. of, yep. of, of, <laughs> of native medicinal plants. Um, do not uh, go out into the forest and start cultivating and harvesting uh, local herbs without first uh, really studying up on ethical um, harvesting of native medicinal plants or native plants in general. Um, speak with, you know, if you've got a local herbalist in your community or somebody who's doing um, herbalism work and maybe they're hosting workshops, I highly recommend going to those. But um, it is not, you know, this this was something that a lot of people in this region faced where people just, you know, crossing over into private property or going through the national forest and just, I mean, picking like, you know, something like ginseng, just harvesting it nearly to extinction. So, you know, understand that these, the, the, 
the people who were practicing folk medicine who still practice it also do it with a mind towards ethical, responsible harvesting of those of those plants. Um, so we would not advise you to go out and try to you know yeah. pick these things or identify them on your own, but really uh, you know find somebody in your community who is knowledgeable, uh, who's maybe a licensed herbalist or a certified herbalist or you know even somebody with like cooperative extension. Um, you know, yeah. on, on how to how to go about identifying these plants and, and harvesting and them. Also be aware that a lot of these plants have parts of them that are toxic or poisonous. Right. Some of them have poisonous lookalikes. Yes. So I would approach this as mushroom foraging. Yep. Just don't do it unless you're with a professional right. that knows what they're doing. Um, but definitely, you know, read up on sustainable practices and we'll post some on our website. Um, but some good rules of thumb, and this goes to even if you're out hiking in the woods and you see a cool leaf or you see a flower, you know, never take the whole plant if you can take just part of it. Um, a good rule of thumb is to um, take something from every third plant and, um, you know, don't don't trample on plants. So just be mindful of where you're stepping. Or even better yet, take a picture. Yeah, I would encourage pictures. <laughs> <laughs> take a picture and leave the plant be. Yeah, but just remember that anything you take out of the forest is, you know, does impact that environment even yep. if it seems small and non-consequential so, yep. um anyway so we're gonna start migrating towards our clips here so we're gonna kind of break this podcast into uh three or four segments um and we're gonna spread this over to podcast so this first half is going to focus on some of the more um historic uh, interviews that we have from our archive and those are going to be focusing on practice known as faith healing as well as some pretty standard home remedies in this region and then the second half of the podcast is going to focus more on um, the use of medicinal plants and um, some of the changes that have occurred over time in this region in terms of herbalism and folk medicine so we're going to start with some really great uh, interviews about faith healing which is an important aspect of folk medicine that's not as well known or practiced today. And this is something that, again, comes from kind of the confluence of those three cultures. So Native Americans have a lot of practices that revolve around the spiritual healing. And even though they may have kept those guarded from some of the settlers in the region, I'm sure there was still understanding that, you know, they did some of these practices. And then a lot of the Euro-American settlers, especially the Scots-Irish, had folk practices that were based around Christianity that dealt with healing but using spiritual tactics, and then certainly um, some traditions from the African Americans. Even when the Foxfire students were visiting people in the 1960s and 1970s, there were still individuals who identified themselves as faith healers, and they, you know, were only available for certain ailments. There's only certain things that they can heal um, and they didn't charge for any services. So it wasn't like an herbalist who's actually doctoring someone and you know, kind of trying to make that as a supplemental living. But faith healing was purely, um, you know, it was, met, it was believed to be like a gift from God. Um, and so they didn't feel right charging for something like that. Um, you know, and I, when I was reading about this, <laughs> the Foxfire students were pretty skeptical about it. Um, but I just want to read the introduction from the section in Foxfire 1 that the students wrote. And they said, um, the elderly healers with whom we talked are quiet, simple, strong, and sure. They are people with a faith of such quality that the differences between them and us were abundantly clear. 
They have faith in themselves and they have faith in their God, believing that it is through him that their words carry weight. They do not heal in tents before throngs. They do not cry out over radios. They do not accept money for the work. They work with the neighbors and neighbors' children individually when asked to help, and they respond as a gesture of friendship and concern. So the two interviews we'll feature right now are going to be from Nora Garland and Flora Youngblood, both of who claimed to be able to practice faith healing, as well as knowing family members um, that practice faith healing. And what's really interesting, to me at least, is that it's like this really guarded secret, and there's really strict rules about who you can tell and when. Um, people believed that if you like told too many people, uh, you would lose your power. Some people had extended as far as like they have to be a non-relative by mm -hmm. blood and marriage. Some mm -hmm. of them say like a female can only tell a non-related male, but that male can pass it back into the family. So it's this like really, um, you know, secretive, coded structure for healing. But what's interesting about Nora Garland's interview is that she claims to have taught herself um, how to do some faith healing and that she just got it out of the Bible. But even though she taught herself, she can't tell the students what chapter it is, which is kind of interesting. So. Well, and then some people too, just, you know, something comes over them and they feel like they receive this, this, this gift mm -hmm. from God. And, you know, I, I've certainly encountered people, uh, in my family and in my wife's family who have, you know, they've experienced it in some way. Like they've had a burn talked out, they've had warts whispered away. Um, so, you know, there's, there's something to be said about the belief in the people, not only the people who are the purveyors of this craft, but the people who are the recipients mm -hmm. of their work also, they have a deep faith and a deep belief in it. And, you know, a lot of that, it, it, it's generational where, you know, if, if as a child you have a, a, a memory or you know that somebody healed you through faith healing, you're likely to call upon someone for your own children. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the ways that this practice is, has, has been maintained. Although, as you said before, albeit not as prevalent as it once was. Yeah. And, but, but it's still around. One of the interviews we'll feature in the second half of this podcast, um, is from Rhonda Reno, who's an herbalist and she experienced um, faith healing as a child. She practices faith healing. Um, I think she can talk burns out. And she's sitting in an interview with Kay Collins, who was a Foxfire student in the 70s. And she remembers a family member being able to talk or get rid of warts. Mm -hmm. And then one of our current students, who was at, at that time was a freshman in high school, was telling them how her grandmother could do that faith healing. And so yes. it's really interesting to see that continuation through generations up here. But anyway, without further ado, we will play these clips for you. I can stop blood. I can go out sorry. And I can take off warts. You know that. Yes, ma'am. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> and they're awful ugly things to be on anybody. Blood can take them off. How, can you tell us uh, how it is that you can draw fire. Uh, how does that work? What, uh, can you tell us as much about it as you can uh, without telling us exactly how? Well, I'll tell you about the fire business. My son that went in there, he uh, told me. So I'll have to ask him if I can take you. 
You can tell one person, you know. Uh-huh. And just get on something else in while he's coming out. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, what about what about curing thrash, for example? No, I can't you do can't that. You can't do that. No, my brother does that. Yeah. Right. And I'm proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> Who taught him? Uh, my mother. Oh. And he said, uh, Sister, I'm going to teach you. I said, No, well, you're not. For somebody there all the time, I want Well, how do you teach there. somebody how to do this? Well, one person can tell one, you see. Oh, and and that other person that you told can tell somebody else. And that's how it gets around, right? I was offered twenty-five dollars money to tell a doctor how to stop the blood, but I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't take it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was Doctor no. Neville. Doctor Neville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who taught you how to do it? I got down the Bible. You taught yourself. Yeah. You taught I got down yourself. The Bible. Can you tell us why it works? Uh, Well, I don't know. I guess that's the Lord's work. But uh, it sees you now. If you'll you'll, uh, just, you look through the book of Ezekiel, your father can find that easiest. The book of Ezekiel? Yes. Is there only one Bible verse that you use? Yes. Just one Bible verse. One Bible. Is that all there um, is to it? Do you do you touch the person that's bleeding? No, no. I've been sent far to Lake Mott and different places to come and stop the blood. And I said, there's no use in me coming. Uh, you can do it from a distance? Yeah. Could you do it, say, over the telephone? I could do it, and I could do it in New York. If they <laughs> call me and say Is that right? Yeah. You just say, you just read this verse. Mm-hmm. You memorize by heart, but don't leave one little letter out. If you do it, won't stop. Do you say the verse out loud, or no. can you just say it no, to yourself? No, you say it to yourself. And that's all? Just that, the verse? That, that's all there is to it. Is it because of your faith? Well, I guess that has a lot to do with it. That's wonderful. You all believe it, that'll stop it. <laughs> what do doctors think about, about all this? Well, I don't know, but Dr. Neville thought it was wonderful. He believed that it would work? Oh, yes, he did, and I'll tell you. We was milking one night. It's, well, uh, we had about 16 cows to milk, and we was milking one Sunday night. And you can see the scar there. There's 26 stitches stuck up and down there, and the blood just bursted over here. A cow kicked me. In the head? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Dover, that was, and he just didn't know a thing in the world to do. And that blood is coming up and spinning back down in my face after we got the other places fixed and my head sewed up. And he says, I just can't get that stuff to save my life. And he says, See, I never thought to do it. I never thought the first time I was hurt so bad. But uh, he said, Try your luck on it. I said, My luck never fails. It never did that spin, never did. This stopped that quick. Hmm. And now. Or to thrash, and thrash. tell us how yeah. to do the thrash. Yeah. Well, now, there's a, there's a verse you repeat. Uh, I say them three times. Mm-hmm. And you repeat this verse as you blow your breath in their mouth. You repeat this verse in your mind mm-hmm. three times and uh, as you blow in the mouth. And then they have to come three times. That makes nine times the verse is repeated. Mm-hmm. And it's so and uh, then for actually the thrash, you know, after I got a doctor the first time, mm-hmm. then uh, I would make a mouthwash. 
-hmm. and uh, then uh, let them start washing its mouth. And then I docked them a second time. I let them give them a dose of uh, something that's worked the stomach out because their mouth breaks out white, they'll swallow some of that down in their stomach. Uh -huh. And see, that uh, keeps it from settling in their stomach. Yeah. And uh, it's something that you want know, to make it pay some through. And I take salmon tree bark, uh -huh. uh, scrape it, and I make a strong tea. And uh, then we put just a little bit of alum in it, just a small little pinch of alum down in that and stir that up. Uh -huh. And that'd be the mouthwash, wash your face, mouthwash. Wrap a white cloth around your finger and just rub all around in your mouth. Uh huh. Now you do that after the first time. After hour. the first time. And then the second time you. Yeah, give them something else to take to wash your stomach out, as we call it. Uh huh. You know, to make your bowels. Do that on that. Yeah. And then uh, by the time they come back the third time, it's all good. But you go ahead and blow in their mouth yeah, the third yeah, time. Yeah, I do it the third time. Uh -huh. And what we make that tea to do that for is to uh, get that white out, not let them swallow. Uh -huh. It starts shedding off, you know, they, oh, the mouth is just as wide as it can be. It starts shedding off, looks like they got your mouth full of cornmeal. Yeah. Well, see, that will wash all that out, and then they won't swallow. Uh -huh. What causes the thrash? It'll degurgitate in the stomach. Yeah. Uh, they don't, uh, the former, if they put them on a the bottle, the former don't suit them just right, and sometimes the mother's milk don't suit them. Uh -huh. And uh, they will regurgitate back, and uh, when they spit it up, that air takes from them. Yeah. Because they're going to spit that milk back up. If you don't suit them, you're going to hear it's coming back. Uh -huh. And then that, that air takes from them. Acid. Acid in it. Blisters from them. So we have to apologize since we don't have a recording studio. We are in the midst of a torrential downpour. So if you hear some rain in the background, all consider, I want for Christmas is a soundproof booth. A soundproof booth. Yeah, yeah, if we have any, you know, willing donors out there, Daddy Warbucks, <laughs> yeah. who want to buy us a, a podcast booth, that would yeah. be amazing. That would be sweet. We would send you a free postcard, and I would definitely bake you some cookies. <laughs> so people only went to faith healers if, again, as I mentioned, certain ailments needed help, such as the burns or the warts. Um, but most of the time, families had, again, as we talked about earlier, home remedies that they turned to. It was very rare that you would go to a doctor because doctors were expensive. They were pretty scarce throughout the regions. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you would only go to a doctor if it was a pretty drastic situation. Um, even for something like childbirth, you would go to a midwife before you went to a doctor. Um, and very rarely did you ever take any sort of medicine, um, any medicine, quote unquote, that you took that you may have gotten from, say, an herbalist or a healer, would have been plant-based, something that could have been easily harvested in the region. So most people had their, their small bank of home remedies that they turned to first, and these could be as simple as, like, you know, washing something out with salt water, or, you know, as we talked about at the beginning, a, a tea, such as a hot toddy or something, something simple that could be easily made at home. Well, there was, you know, the, this brings up something, too, from the work we were doing on the last book, uh, the storybook that's coming out, um, uh, the 1918 um, flu epidemic. Uh, we have several interviews and people talk about 
at that time, you know, going through the flu epidemic and, you know, it was wiping out entire families. They were just, you know, brought to their brought to their knees. They were laid up in bed. It was really neighbors helping neighbors that got the community through the flu epidemic. And they, they mentioned that, you know, the doctors really couldn't do anything for them other than provide them with aspirin. That was the only relief and really it was just to help break the fever. But a lot of what what they what they credit their healing to was the work of their neighbors sort of nursing them through one of the, I mean, the most tragic outbreaks Mm -hmm. in recorded history um, was, you know, clean water, clean linens, a hot fire and, you know, bone broth and just having that, that attention and, and somebody caring for them. So, you know, here was this, you know, this great epidemic, and it wasn't the medical doctors who rescued these communities from this, because they were left stupefied by it. Uh, it was, you know, just the work of the community and the people in the community who had some knowledge about, you know, how to care for someone when they were ill. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people, you know, continue to put a lot of, a lot more faith in the, into this practice than they did conventional medicine. Yeah. And you'll hear that come out in some of these interviews and definitely from the interviews next week. So this interview comes again from Flora Youngblood, whose father was an herbalist and helped treat a lot of people throughout the region. And so... Her section is going to speak to some of the the remedies that her and her father used. What about um, cuts and sores? Yeah, now that's uh, that see that does soak good in hot salty water. Yeah. Then uh, uh, I had to get them bathed off real good. By then, uh, you know, got Vaseline or just something before the cloth wouldn't stick and yeah. wrap it. But if they got infected, then they would use the wallet. Okay. What about for a fever? For the fever, let's see. Uh, garlic. It'll be comfortable tonight. <laughs> uh, garlic. Take the bugs of garlic. Uh-huh. And just take a hammer and, and a cloth, wrap them up, just beat them up. And uh, tie it around your wrist here and here. And uh, fever go away. How long does it usually take it? Oh, don't take it long. Uh, maybe a. 35-40 So we hope that these provided you guys with some ideas. Hopefully you won't get sick, but if you do, maybe consider turning to a Foxfire book for some simple home remedies. Um, and hopefully it's also provided you with a sense of the importance of folk medicine um, in this region and also kind of everything that that label encompasses. Um, certainly more than just using herbs to heal yourself, but it's it's a large set of practices that are deeply ingrained in the culture here, I think. Yeah, it's a real, you know, it, a lot of a lot of health is is rooted to your mental health um, and your emotional health, and I think a lot of what, especially the faith healing did, was to support and reinforce that mental and emotional part of the healing process. Um, 
and I think some of that gets lost in modern medicine. So, you know, I still, I certainly appreciate, you know, being cared for by a loved one. Um, and, uh, I know, you know, our children do as well. So, um, don't, don't, uh, don't discount that as, as being something that's, that's not of, not of value. Yeah, and be sure to join us in two weeks. We'll have the second part of this episode posted for you guys. And feel free to, as always, contact us with any questions or suggestions. You can reach out to us on Twitter. Handle is at itstilllives1 or shoot us an email to itstilllives at foxfire.org. We'll see you next time. If you don't like that, you can throw it away. I like it. <laughs>